Hi, I'm indie fantasy author Melinda Cusera, and you're listening to my podcast where I'm reading the first book in my epic fantasy series, Cursebreaker Enchanted. Today we're dropping in at chapter 11, so let's go. Chapter 11. Will cut across the meadow, searching for a lean figure in a dark green cloak. As he rehearsed the speech he'd spent part of the last night perfecting, tears pricked his eyes. Beku, the mother of Sarn's adorable little boy, had vanished nearly three months ago, prompting Sarn to take his son and brother and move out. But I found the right argument to bring Sarn back to the fold. Soon everything will return to normal. Will scanned the meadow, eager to get this over with. Four mornings out of seven, he ran into Sarn, but not this morning. Had the rangers let Sarn off early? Maybe they had. Will scanned the meadow from one side of the encircling menhirs to the other before he gave up and headed for the trim house serving as office and abode for the harbor master. It was one of four freestanding structures on the meadow itself. At this early hour, two triremes and one square-rigged vessel lay at anchor, and the low-riding profile of the latter vessel showed a full hold. Looks like I'll have my hands full today. A flash of green caught Will's eye. Sarn leaned against a wall, looking tired and tense. Not a good sign. Both those radiant eyes opened and regarded Will as he halted. There was Tall, and then there was Sarn, who towered over everyone. He was big all over except in the girth department. Technically, he was also two years older than Will, but didn't look it. Sarn nodded to Will, and his gaze sharpened as he tried to wake up. Morning, Will. Is something wrong? Will blinked a few times. Why is Sarn standing there? He serves the rangers, and they have nothing to do with the docks or their doings. Is there? Will asked. Talking to Sarn meant dealing with his silences and reading micro-expressions, because he was an introvert, but so was Will. You rarely come down this way. Do you need something? A boat, maybe? Myron wants to go fishing, right? I can arrange something for this afternoon. Will hoped for a no. Sarn needed a wash, sleep, and a generous breakfast. Sarn shook his head. Will waited for an explanation, but Sarn parceled out words as if he had a limited supply in constant danger of depletion. Ranger business? Will suggested, even though he doubted it. Jerlo concerned himself with all things Sylvan, leaving the nautical issues to the harbor master. Sarn nodded. His strange eyes cast out over the river, and their glow attracted Will. He tried to break off his stare, but that emerald light drew him. The sun's rays angled toward Sarn and arrowed into those incredible eyes. There they gathered before fanning out towards twin wheels of spinning green flames, making them burn brighter. Will fell through those fiery emerald rings into the dark center of a blaze stretching out to infinity and beyond. Sarn stalked a few paces away, breaking the partial gaze lock. I guess. He told me to wait here. Will took a moment to re-engage his mind and put that statement into its proper context. Oh right, I guess it's important. Will kicked a stone. It skipped down the rocky beach toward the river. Damn it, I alienated him. I'm sorry, I didn't mean, but Will had intended to do it. I don't know how Myron can be around Sarn all the time and not gaze into those incredible eyes. Maybe the one parent they had in common offered Myron some immunity. Sarn ignored Will's feeble attempt at an apology and armored himself in silence again. Great, even if I get Sarn talking, how can I steer the conversation in the right direction? He couldn't, so Will abandoned the attempt. There was always tomorrow or the next day. It had been months since Sarn had moved out. What was another couple of days of fetching and carrying for everyone? A door opened, and a ranger whose muscles stretched the seams of his green uniform exited. Will backpedaled, alarmed by the muscular man approaching them. Sarn was a sapling next to that hulking ranger. 
Sarn, ah, there you are. Let's go. His friend followed the ranger down the beach. Am I forgiven? Will watched his friend walk up the gangplank onto a trireme. Unable to admit defeat, he tried out several openers in his mind until the buzzing in his ears grew too loud to ignore. It was a cross between a crowd whispering and a swarm of angry bees. The noise crescendoed as a muscular ranger stabbed his best friend in the back. Sarn collapsed into a pool of dark green cloth. His attacker paused for a moment before throwing Sarn's limp body over his shoulder and heading below as that buzzing cut off. Moments later, the gangplank withdrew, and the drumming began as the trireme pulled out into the current, heading east toward Racine. I must tell Myron what just happened, but Will just stood there, staring instead of trekking up the mountain. His boss, the harbor master, exited his office, and the sight of a man who'd been a surrogate father to him startled Will into speech. Did you see? The harbor master nodded. I saw. Oh god, is he? No, Sarn can't be dead. He can't be. Will rejected the very idea. No, Sarn's too ornery to die. What did you say? The harbor master gripped Will's upper arm and shook him. I said his name, Sarn. The tall boy with the cloak, the one I've seen you talk to. Will nodded. The harbor master's face drained of color. He shouted for runners, and a pair of teenage brothers rushed over from a nearby wharf. Paper! I need paper! Will strode to Pater's office, but halted when something blew past him, numbing his shoulder. Spinning to face the river, he rubbed some feeling back into his arm and nodded to the gray shape flying toward the eastbound trireme. Something's chasing the ship. I don't see anything. Pater glanced in the direction Will had indicated and shook his head. What do you see other than that damn boat and all the trouble it's caused? Something's chasing it. Something small. It's probably a bird. Pater accepted ink, quill, and paper from a teen with unruly hair. Then the runner turned so the harbor master could use his back as a desk. While Pater scratched out a message, Will squinted at the flying shape. Drums throbbed as three tiers of rowers dug their oars into the river, propelling the craft. Will shaded his eyes, but he recoiled when the trailing shape resolved into a child, backlit by the rising dawn. Do ghosts exist? Will turned his back on the boat, fast fading into a wash of gold. The ghost reminded him of Ran. If Sarn failed to return, his son would be an orphan. God, how can I tell such an adorable child his father is gone? The harbor master finished his note and thrust it at the boys. Quick as you can, get this message to Jerlo. Come right back when you have, and I'll pay you a copper for every minute under an hour. The boys grinned and raced off toward the mountain, confident in their success. Since their aunt was the sole female ranger on the roster at present, they just needed to hand her the message. She'd know where to find her commander. We'll watch them go. I should follow them and break the news to Myron. But that wasn't a conversation he wanted to have, so Will trudged into the office. Myron would be in class until late afternoon, so there was no need to hurry. But his gaze caught on Mount Eredrin's bent cone. I should go. But Will didn't move. Beyond Mount Eredrin's shadow-laden shoulder, a beacon shone in the retreating night. His mouth fell open as he recognized her starry crown even at a distance, the queen of all trees. Numinous and shining, she stood on a distant peak, with her sightless gaze fixed on the fading silhouette of that trireme. Her trunk vibrated, blurring her brilliant outline. As her anger rolled across the forest, her subjects quivered. Are you coming in or just letting the flies in? Pater called out, dragging Will back to mundane matters. Will opened his mouth, but no words rose to his lips, so he shut his mouth and glanced once more at the dawn-gilded river, replaying his best friend's abduction. Why did the rangers kidnap Sarn? He's indentured to them. Meanwhile, inside the mountain, Nolo sank into a chair facing Jerlo's desk, grateful to end the night there. 
In less than an hour, I'll have jam on scones and maybe a steak. Yes, a steak and something drowning in honey butter. His mouth watered. Thoughts of food distracted Nolo from the dragons staring him down from every available surface. The commander had a thing for dragons, but no one else shared his fascination. Jarlo pushed at the papers littering his desk. Sarn? Sarn. Nolo confirmed, keeping his hand over his eyes. The Litharians had loved Lumiere crystal-eyed statues, and their emotionless glowing eyes reminded him of Sarn. He shuddered. What's he done now? Can't he stay out of trouble for a few hours? Jerlo tried to run a hand through his afro, then gave it up as a lost cause. Will you punish him for running off? Nolo pressed. Jerlo waved a hand in dismissal. No punishment? No, he came back. I don't care about the rest. Jerlo leaned back in his chair and blew out a breath. What will you do with him later tonight? It took Nolo a moment to recall a new day had dawned, and he'd end it with another walk about the enchanted forest. But the kids should stay away from there until it calms down. Drills, maybe? But a massive enchanted tree had contemplated kidnapping the kid. Why had the forest taken such an interest in Sarn? Jerlo tented his fingers and considered. Find something to keep him confined to the mountain. No archery either, but anything else is fine. You're right. But his ability to dead reckon is useful, especially in an enchanted wonderland. Nolo relied on that ability, but he shifted in his chair, avoiding the commander's keen eyes instead of admitting it. Jerlo shook his head. Too risky. After what happened today... I don't want him anywhere near the forest. I can't let a tree walk off with him. No, the kid stays here. A knock sounded, rescuing Nolo from an uncomfortable situation, and Ranispara poked her head in. For a moment, the years fell away, and there stood the 19-year-old girl in braids Grigori had wed. Nolo blinked, and 11 years fell back into place, recasting the awkward girl into a woman of 30. We've got a problem. A big one, she said, looking angry enough to bite someone. They both rose as she outlined their worst nightmare. Human agency, not an enchanted forest, had kidnapped Sarn. What do you know about this? Jerlo snapped at her. Well, not tall for a woman, Ranispara still had a handspan on their boss. A certain husband of mine has conveniently vanished and this showed up. Ranispara held out a slip of paper. Jerlo scanned its contents before crumpling it up and tossing it over his shoulder. It ricocheted off two towers of paperwork before rolling to a stop by a dragon-shaped inkwell. Both towers shuddered on impact, but neither one toppled. Jerlo neither noticed nor cared. But Ranispara did, and a decision crystallized in her dark eyes to involve a third party with neat handwriting and no talent for skulking about an enchanted forest. Nolo approved of the decision. It would keep the ranger's other problem member, a merchant's son named Jalister, occupied. Think your husband took him? Jerlo eyed the lone female ranger in the ranks and accepted her nod as gospel. Yes, I do. He's done this before. They all acknowledged that grim truth with a nod. How far would Grigori take the kid this time? There's no way to know until the fool turns up. Nolo drummed his fingers on the head of a waist-high dragon statue. Why now? Why this morning? Neither had an answer for Jerlo. The real question is, what can we do about it? Nolo stepped away from the dragon statue, intent on commandeering the next ship and spearheading a search, but a yawn stopped him. I've been awake since yesterday afternoon. Jerlo too, judging by the dark circles ringing the commander's eyes. They made his vulpine face look more raccoon-like in the Lumiere light. Perhaps someone else should lead the search. What can we do other than wait? We don't know where Grigori's taken him, and there's no boat out they're capable of following. Ranispara gripped her upper arms instead of her absent husband, whom she no doubt wanted to strangle. So did Nolo. I'd love to choke some sense into my best friend right now. We must get the kid back, Nolo said. My husband planned this well. There's no other ship ready to weigh anchor. Do we at least know where he's headed? 
The next stop is Racine, 20 miles downriver. Ranispar gestured eastward toward the dragon statue glaring at them. You don't expect him to stop there. Nolo gripped the back of a chair, wishing it were Grigori's neck. Oh, I'm certain it will, but I doubt my husband will disembark. Why not? Ranispar shook her head, and a set of gold tubes dangling from her earlobes chined. Grigori had given them to her on their last anniversary on the advice of Nolo's wife. Too easy. Sarn could follow the river back. He can run those 20 miles in four or five hours if he's motivated, and he will be motivated. He won't leave his brother behind. Jerlo patted Nolo's arm, dragging his attention down to his diminutive boss, but the tactician had nothing constructive to add. You get some sleep. I need you sharp for tonight. There's no knowing what nonsense the forest will throw at us. You didn't sanction this. Nolo gestured to the crumpled message. Anger at Grigori scorched his eyes, or maybe it was exhaustion burning them. What do you think? I don't know, sir. Hence my question. Nolo's statement caught Ranispire off guard, and she turned to glare at her boss. Oh, hell no. Not you two. If I had something to do with this, I wouldn't have entrusted to Grigori. The man had a point. Had Jerlo staged this, he'd be on the boat with Sar, not standing around his office. Nolo nodded. Maybe they'll leave us alone for a while. The forest, I mean. Ranispara said. Since she worked days, she missed the forest antics last night. Otherwise, she never would have suggested that. I doubt it since the enchanted forest entered one of its active periods. Who knows how long it'll last or what trouble it'll cause. Jerla leaned against his desk and the towers of paper shivered but didn't fall. Nolo opened his mouth to remind his boss about the incident with the Queen of All Trees, but Jerlo shook his head and regret bowed his shoulders. If your fears come to pass, there's nothing we can do about it except pray and wait for his return. Jerlo folded his arms. And punish the perpetrator, Ranispara said, and there was murder in her eyes. I wish you much luck, my friend, in surviving your next encounter with your wife. Nolo stifled another yawn. The corner of Jerlo's mouth quirked up, and an evil light glittered in his black eyes. Oh, don't you worry about that. I have something to discourage such nonsense in the future. Ranispara reflected Nolo's skepticism at their boss. What thing? Nothing you need to worry about. Grigori would be too busy to pull another stunt ever again. Go on. I need you at your sharpest. Jerlo gestured for Nolo to go and wait on tenderhooks for Sarn to return. Shall I set a watch for him? Jerlo nodded and gestured for Vanispara to get on that. She saluted, then set off at a dead run. Nolo wanted to follow her. Instead, he nodded to his boss and allowed his feet to take him the twenty turns to his door. But once he reached it, he stood there, glaring at the polished wood. Inside, his family waited, but he didn't want to see them right now. Oh, there was nothing wrong with his family. He had a lovely wife and son, but the rangers were his life, and they left little time for anything else. Or energy, since the night's doings had run him dry. Then there was Sarn. Worry bubbled up, burning worse than heartburn. What if the kids hurt or in danger? You went too far this time, Grigori. And it strained their friendship. Nolo rubbed his throbbing temples. I must distract my wife with something, anything, so long as it takes her mind off the list of chores waiting for me. But his thoughts kept circling back to the missing Sarn. Nolo blinked at the door in surprise. Is Sarn's kidnapping the answer? He pushed open the door and found Inari on the other side. Something's happened. Her dark eyes searched him for answers. Nolo nodded and told her everything while she plied him with food. By meal's end, she tucked him into bed and was trading her flowing garment for more practical garb. Despite giving birth to a son eight years ago, she had kept an almost hourglass figure because going anywhere involved a lot of walking. 
She twisted her long hair into a braid, kissed his brow, and left the suite to join her best friend, Ranaspara, out on the green. After she left, Nolo threw off the covers and padded to the window. He sat down on a plush chair, intending to pray. But a gleam, independent of the rising sun, drew his eye to a lambent profile fading into the dawn. Nolo grimaced at the creaking window as he tried to open it. Since he'd never replaced the rusted hinges, he had trouble budging it. But it gave finally, and he leaned out into the crisp morning. You leave him alone. Sarn belongs to us. If she heard, she gave no sign. Nor did she reappear, but he doubted the queen of all trees had gone far. Still, Nola repeated his injunction until it turned into a desperate plea. He prayed until thirst stole his voice. Will she leave Sarn alone, or will she kidnap him too? And that is chapter 11. In the last episode where we talked about chapter 10, I mentioned that something happens in this episode that throws Sarn off track and he's not able to resolve the mystery of the ghost boy or that strange magic in the forest around the site where those people died or even why they died or what happened. This is what happened. So he was kidnapped by Gregory. We don't know why. We don't know where he's taking him. But we will find out in the upcoming chapters. And also what Sarn does about it. Because he is not going to be happy when he wakes up. That's for sure. And actually, let's do chapter 12. Let's see what happens next. In this chapter, we're going to get Gregory's side of things. So that should be interesting. Chapter 12. I must do it. The truth failed to stop Grigori's conscience from stabbing him right where it hurt the most. Sarn's scarred cheek rested on the weathered deck, leaving his perfect right side visible. The kid looked so young and vulnerable, sprawled there. Maybe I should have come up with a different plan. No, the kid had potentially dangerous stuff racing around his body that nobody wanted to deal with. Nolo coddled him, and Jerlo pretended those glowing eyes were just for decoration. How could the commander know that radiance was benign? Damn it. The kid looked as innocent as a child, and the sight pricked Grigori with guilt. Judging by the looks he received, the sight had the same effect on the deckhand. That could be a problem. I'd better stop looming over the unconscious kid and stow him below. Grigori slung Sarn over his shoulder, and one of the kid's floating ribs poked him. Grigori shook his head. Kid, you weigh less than someone who stands closer to seven feet than six should. Don't you eat? Lances, both hostile and curious, chased Grigori from the deck. My young friend isn't a fan of boats, as you can see, he said over his shoulder. After throwing out that non-sequitur to the two interested deckhands, he left them to adjust the sails and descended the narrow stair into the ship's only other deck. It took a bit of maneuvering to fit through a hole meant for sleek youths because both he and the kid had shoulders as broad as a river in Earthville Valley. With a little finagling, Grigori managed it, and the narrow passageway beyond. He chose the first unoccupied chamber he passed to put his burden down, but Grigori jerked back. Shock traveled up his arm. What the hell was that? Sarn spilled off a cot meant for a man a head shorter than him, while Grigori rubbed his tingling hand. He stared at Sarn's cloak, but the dark green cloth lay there doing nothing exciting now. I didn't imagine that, Zap. You shocked me, kid. Why? I'm just trying to help. Sarn just lay there, pale and still. Grigori sighed. The kid reacted badly to anything chemical, making this abduction risky. I should make sure you're still breathing. Grigori steeled himself. Don't you dare shock me. Do you hear me, kid? No response, but Grigori hadn't expected one, so he set to work. Heartbeat? Found it. Still breathing? Check. Usual pallor? A glance confirmed it. Were his eyes doing that creepy glow thing? Grigori paused his mental checklist and dithered for a moment before opening one of the kid's eyes. Green light spilled out, dyeing everything it fell on. 
Only the iris glowed. The sclera and pupils looked normal. How can they be when saturated by that dreaded M-word? How much of you looks normal but is magically altered, kid? Silence answered that question, because no one knew. The kid had power, but nobody wanted to find out what effect it had, least of all its unconscious owner. By all accounts, the kid's eyes had already been luminescent at 14. If that report gathering dust in a locked drawer of Jerlo's office was correct, Six years is a long time for something to work on a growing boy. What alterations had it made? Did Sarn even know? Probably not, which made today's test even more important. Finding one's limits was part of growing up. At the rate Jerlo and Nolo were going, the kid would die before they allowed him to seek those limits. Time to see what you can do, kid. Grigori patted Sarn's cheek, then subsided to a chest, bolted to the wall, and closed his eyes to rest them. He had about six hours until he reached his destination. Plenty of time for a nap. The gentle rocking lulled him until a cold gust of wind ruffled his hair. Grigori shivered and opened his eyes. A ghostly child settled at Sarn's bedside, but Grigori looked right through it and yawned. A tear rolled down the ghost's translucent face as it turned longing eyes on the only person who could see him. But Sarn lay still and silent, as if he too were dead. Magic rushed around inside him, proving he was alive. You're so full of light and life. You must know a spell to save us both from the dark thing and its vile plans. The specter laid its head on Sarn's chest and curled up in a ball of misery, seeking comfort from an unconscious source. Familiar magic crawled over him, investigating the riddle of his existence. Maybe it would find an answer to their predicament because the Dark One was after Sarn too. Grigori stretched tired muscles and shivered as his breath misted in the air. Why is it so cold in here? He checked the porthole, but it was still closed. Grigori searched for a blanket, and the exercise warmed him as he exited the cold pocket surrounding Sarn. Grigori sat on the floor, flummoxed by the strange disparity in temperature in the room. It had been a long and strange night with few answers. Perhaps this stationary cold spot was all part of that weirdness. Another yawn snuck up on Grigori. Whatever had happened, it had unsettled both Nolo and Jerlo. And that was no mean feat. They're hiding something, and I want to know what. That was one more reason in favor of today's test, because said trouble had involved the unconscious kid. Grigori smiled as he pondered how to tell Nolo his precious charge was alone in the enchanted forest. His friend's reaction would be priceless. You'd better learn something, kid. If I went to all this trouble for nothing, I'll take it out of your hide. But he wouldn't. It was an empty threat. After what that psychopath Hadrival had done, no ranger would dare touch Sarn. Grigori passed a hand over his eyes, but that disturbing memory refused to recede. Like a broken doll, Sarn had lain on the icy stone floor with one arm and one leg bent at odd angles. The white of his bones had peeked out of a jagged gash, bathing the left side of his face in blood. Grigori still smelled the sweet metallic tang of the cooling mage blood he'd knelt in. A sightless green eye had stared past him from Sarn's disfigured face, and he'd stretched a hand out to close it. Feeling warm flesh under his fingers, he'd shouted, He's not dead! And the ragers had done everything they could over the last five years to keep the kid alive. You're still a pain in the ass. Grigori patted Sarn's knee, but I prefer you that way. You keep life interesting, kid. Not even flippancy could lighten the shadow that incident had cast. The rangers had failed, and a 15-year-old boy had paid the price in blood and pain. By the grace of Jerlo and Nolo's god, the incident hadn't crippled Sarn, but guilt and regret had become a lens, coloring every decision the rangers made about the kid. Can one test change that? 
For your sake, kid, it had better. Six hours later, Grigori unslung his burden. His thick fingers poked right through the cringing ghost child as he felt for a pulse. Without magic, Grigori couldn't see the ghost, but he could feel its cold unnaturalness as his index finger located an artery. A strong pulse beat in Sarn's throat. Relieved, Grigori backed off and bumped his elbow on a tree. He ignored the thing since this was Shayari, and there were billions of those gigantic weeds around. So far, the kid had experienced no adverse reactions to the drug, nor had the kid awoken yet. But Sarn would, thanks to the stimulant he'd just poured down the kid's throat. It could take anywhere from a few minutes to an hour, if I dosed the kid right. Since conceiving this plan, Grigori had told no one. So asking for dosage advice had been out of the question, and the kid's body had a nasty habit of rejecting everything except food and water. Well, it's in Faith's hands now. But worry still gnawed on Grigori as he sought a suitable spot to wait for the kid to wake up. Branches allowed a few shafts of light to spear through the perpetual gloom as trees gathered around his charm. Yes, the trees were enchanted, but they only reacted to stimulus because some ancient lunatic had programmed them to. They watched everyone who came and went under their boughs. But every minute Grigori hovered over the kid's prone form, the forest loomed a little more over him. Eyes bored and drew Grigori from all sides as if a pack of children stood behind him, staring. And I still don't know what happened earlier. Grigori shuddered, and a spot between his shoulder blades itched. Silence reigned, and nothing dared to interrupt it. Turning, Grigori checked his surroundings for the danger he sensed, but he didn't see the startled ghost child rush into the forest. Grigori waited for the trees to do something other than loom over him. They're not staring at you. They can't. They don't have eyes. He dragged in a deep breath and fought to get a grip. Six hours on a boat after witnessing the forest behavior last night must have unhinged me. The sooner I get out of here, the better. Movement startled Grigori until he zeroed in on its cause. Sarn had stirred. Grigori let out a relieved breath. The kid's okay. I picked the right dosage. Praise Nolo's God. Now to find a suitable hiding spot. It'll spoil the test if you spot me, kid. We can't have that, now can we? Grigori spun on his heel and melted into the tree line. A cave would be great, but he saw none. No good-sized boulders met his searching gaze either. There was nothing to hide behind or inside unless he wanted to climb a tree. Grigori gazed up at one of those bark-covered monsters. It would have to do. Grigori seized a branch before he could regret his decision. He'd made it to the lowest story before Sarn sat up and vomited. Guilt stabbed Grigori the longer the kid remained doubled over. Maybe I overdid it a tad. After a while, the fit subsided into dry heaves, and the kid collapsed on his side. Sarn lay there, unmoving. Fear feasted on Grigori, until the kid sat up and made some effort to hide the signs of his recent sickness. Sarn rose and staggered toward the river without doing any reckoning at all. Grigori marveled. How did you know it's there? No sign of the river Nirthal lingered here. If his perfect hearing failed to pick up the river's chatter, then Sarn could hear nothing but the wind. No opportunistic moss covered the boles of the enchanted trees as it did within a half mile of the river. What clued you in? Grigori watched until Sarn had melted into the tree line, but part of him wanted to follow and discover firsthand what the kid would do next. But if I do that, I risk discovery. With a shrug, he left Sarn to his own devices and the test to run its course. Besides, it was time he returned to Mount Eredrin to await the results. Good luck, kid, he thought in the direction Sarn had headed. You'll need it. Sarn rinsed his mouth out for the fifth time, but that damned acidic taste refused to wash away. He scooped up more water and splashed it over his face. At his knee, a brook babbled as it flowed over roots, drinking their fill. I'll kill Grigori for this. This is all that jerk's fault. He pictured his long fingers wrapped around that asshole's throat, but the image disintegrated. Grigori had taught him so much. The teacher and the kidnapper. How could the man fit both under the same skin and not go mad from the duality? 
Grigori, that asshole. Where was he? The jerk must be around here somewhere to gloat. Well, let him watch. Let him think he'd won this round. Sarn pictured his fist introducing itself to Grigori's face. In his fantasy, it made a satisfying thunk as the man fell unconscious at his feet. Given what had happened today, I might even get away with it. Damn Grigori and his meddling. Sarn punched a patch of moss then met the beady eyes of a startled rat. Part of its brown ear was missing. The rat bared its teeth. Scat! He shook his fist at the creature, and it darted into the underbrush. What's with the rats today? I've seen more than the usual number. Before he could pursue that oddity, hunger cramped his stomach. Sarn scanned the trees around him for anything edible. Even in spring, there must be something. Before he'd spent a year with the rangers, he knew every plant and its use, every animal and its sign. All those lessons had led up to the first of Grigori's little tests. That last one had left him with a concussion and a promise from Jerlo that there would be no more. What the hell had changed Grigori's mind? Temporary insanity? An edict from Jerlo? What? At least this time, I don't have any injuries to deal with. Sarn rubbed his brow. His head felt light from either hunger or the lingering effects of that drug. He could still taste its bitter promise of unconsciousness, so he spat out another mouthful of water. Done grumbling for now, Sarn worked on figuring out where in Shiari he was. Enchanted trees surrounded him, but they stood there, mimicking their non-magical brethren. How long would their good behavior last? Sarn played the glow of his eyes across the trees towering over him, and their light merged with the magic rushing around inside them, lending them a sinister air. Bubbles of brilliance passed up and down their bark in a never-ending stream. From branch to leaves, those lights moved in a constant dance of color at the periphery of sight. If he squinted, patterns came into focus, but they made his head throb. The trees regarded Sarn. They knew he was there. Maybe their awareness stretched to what had happened last night. Why did you kill those people? Why did you let that boy die? And what was that black stuff? Is it still here? The forest maintained its silence, and its stillness made his skin crawl. Sarn closed his eyes. Will you kill me too? Probably not, since I respect the forest's rules. Without warning, a map unfurled inside his head, and it included a lot more of Shari than the last time Sarn had checked it. While he'd been unconscious, his map must have updated itself, because it now included a white star pulsing so very far away. Ran, Sarn whispered, reaching toward the star marking his son. Please be okay until I return. Sarn levered himself up in stages and made it to a sit without blacking out. A map icon flashed in his peripheral vision and he ignored it. It had likely selected the fastest route back, but it could wait. Sarn tipped forward onto his hands and knees and crawled to the nearest tree. Digging his fingers into those rough vertical grooves, he levered himself up until a projectile hurtled toward him. What the hell? Sarn dove sideways before the thought could complete itself. Magic shot between him and the ground, softening it. After bouncing twice, Sarn landed on his side with the breath driven out of him, startling another rat. It bared its teeth not more than a foot away, and the icy breath of something unnatural raised the hairs on the back of his neck. That dark thing from last night was here with him. Its malevolence concentrated on this spot. I must get away from here. Before Sarn could move, an insect leaped off the rat's back and burrowed into the spent leaves blanketing the ground. Roots tore open the earth, and the lifeless rat toppled into it and disappeared under a pile of dirt. Just like last night, a black substance spurted from that pile and shot toward him. Sarn rolled aside, and the trees surrounding him backed away, but not enough to reveal the sky. Their tangled branches blocked it from sight. What is that stuff? Sarn pointed at the foul geyser and the increasing puddles surrounding it. Everything grayed as it dissolved into that creeping black liquid. Fallen leaves, ants searching for food, rocks, and even the edge of his cloak before a branch pushed him back. And that foul substance sucked the heat from the air flowing over it. 
what happened last night is still happening. This is just the tip of something far worse, and I'm stuck out here with no provisions or clues facing fates know what. Damn you, Grigori. Sarn punched the ground, but he pulled the blow at the last minute so he didn't break his fist. Two more projectiles dropped, and Sarn rolled aside, ready to curse the forest too, but a root smacked the object, rolling it into his waiting palm. Sarn stared at an apple the size of a melon. Its swollen, outward appearance aside, the all-fruit tasted of honey, cinnamon, and crisp apple. Why was the forest being so generous? Why did you let those people die last night? Why feed me now? Because they want something from me, obviously. Sarn squashed the questions that realization raised and instead looked for the source of his sudden windfall. Supersized apple lookalikes hung from a vine draped over a tree's lower branches, absorbing the magic from its host to infuse into its fruit. But all were just out of reach, thanks to that expanding black puddle. Too bad, because my son loves them. And that vine's growing enough all fruit to feed my family for a month. One all-fruit filled the void in his belly, leeching some of the pain drilling through his skull. The ground opened by his boot to accept the refuse. Too full to consume the edible core, Sarn dropped it into the hole, filled with that same black substance. It closed as a branch shooed him away from it. What's under the forest? Why enchant the forest in the first place? The answers to both questions might explain some of what was going on. What are you guarding? Sarn pivoted and played the green glow of his eyes over each tree in turn. They stood straighter in answer, like the sentinels they were, and that branch pushed against his shoulder. It was time to go. Sarn gathered up the two remaining all-fruits. When the forest gave something to a traveler, it expected gratitude in return. Sarn fumbled in one of his pockets for a burlap sack while he sought the words the forest waited to hear. After dropping the all-fruits inside, he tied it closed. Those giants loomed over him, growing larger every minute he remained mute. When Sarn opened his mouth, the words changed on his tongue as the gaius binding him to the truth tightened its grip on his psyche. Oh, fates, their branches end in black knives, and their leaves are flesh-tearing stars. Sarn gripped the top of the sack so hard his knuckles turned white. I can't do it. Sarn dropped the sack, and the all-fruits rolled out. I can't thank you. Why did you let them kill that boy? Why kill the killers afterwards? Why didn't you save him? Your rules don't allow anyone to harm a child in here, so why didn't you stop them? And what is that black stuff? The wing kicked up, blowing with a fury that matched his. It tugged his cloak, but not a single leaf stirred. All was still except a solitary cockroach scuttling past his boot and the geyser feeding the black puddle creeping toward him. Did I go too far? Will they destroy me for speaking up when no one else would? They'd allowed a child to die, so why should they care if I survive? Sarn found the courage to back away, unless they wanted something from him. But what could they possibly want from an untutored mage? Sarn tensed and prepared for flight while he waited for the forest response. A root swatted an all-fruit, rolling it out of that black stuff's reach. After it knocked the second one in his direction, two forest giants slid aside, and behind them, other enchanted monoliths broke ranks. They created a zigzagging path where none had existed before. What is this, a peace offering? When Sarn made no move to pick up the fruit, several roots breached the surface. They coiled around the all-fruits and the sack and handed the results to him. A branch touched his back and pushed him toward the trail the forest had created. A chill invaded his soul as the dead boy coalesced next to him, flat emerald eyes fixed on Sarn, urging him to run. He shivered from the sudden cold snap as the ghost pointed. Im, Meyer, Eriter, said a voice on the wind. A cockroach grew as it exited a foul puddle, welling up at the tree's base, and climbed another one of those enchanted monoliths, dragging a trail of black slime in its wake. Ice slid down the darkening tree's bark, cracking it so that putrid black liquid could ooze inside. An icy branch swung towards Sarn, dripping Icor, but he dodged it as the infected roach leaped onto another tree to kick off its transformation. 
a glowing root wrapped around his arm, jerking Sarn to the side. He slipped on a puddle of ichor and crashed into another tree as it rushed forward to grapple with the overshadowed ones. The ghost's hand solidified around his wrist, dragging Sarn between the clashing trees. What's happening? Sarn asked. This was like something out of an old tale from the time of wild magic. The ghost shook its head and kept flying, charting a course through those suddenly mobile monoliths. But no matter how fast they fled, the corruption outpaced them. A natural! Sheiked his magic right before it slammed into his stomach, knocking Sarn backward and breaking the ghost's grip. Let us out! Sarn landed on his rump and wrestled for control of the fire racing under his skin. Around him, enchanted trees winked out, releasing clouds of shining motes. They rained down on Sarn, coating his cloak, cowl, and trousers in the clean magic of life until every part of him glowed a pale green verging on white. The ghost stared, part in wonder and part in fear, and so did Sarn. I only have one type of magic, and it's green, not white. Sarn stared at the silver flames dancing on his palms. Something's wrong with my magic or my eyes. The ghost boy extended hesitant fingers, twined them in that strange magic, and tore free a fistful of shimmering white filaments. They winked out a moment later. Rubbing his numb hands, Sarn checked for signs of injury, but only a tingling sensation remained where his magic had torn. The specter drifted closer, but halted when Sarn held up a hand. Don't touch me. I said I'd help you and I will. The ghost's shoulders slumped, and its gray face fell into distress lines. Look, I didn't mean, but Sarn got no further than that before a branch dripping black ichor pinned him to a boulder. Everything stopped. Affected and unaffected trees alike stood rooted to the spot. The infected tree strained. The tip of its branch touched the hollow of his throat, but it could not pierce his skin. The rules governing its existence allowed harm only to those who broke its three rules, and he hadn't. Relieved, Sarn brushed the branch away. On contact, white light leaped from his hand, cleansing the infection, and chased out the darkness. What's happening to them has something to do with what happened to you, doesn't it? The ghost nodded and tugged Sarn to his feet. At least the basic rules were still in play, but that was a small comfort. There was no rule protecting travelers from accidents. Those infected trees could still hurt him, just not directly. A glowing branch pulled Sarn behind several Sharon oaks intent on battling the dark trees. I can drive out the darkness. More enchanted trees formed up, ignoring his offer. Their branches pointed, urging Sarn to run. When his magic stayed quiet, he understood. Curing them won't solve the problem. The ghost boy shook its head and tugged, determined to tow Sarn away from there. Sarn spun and ran with the frightened ghost clinging to his arm. He required no more prodding. I must reach my son before this corruption does. And that's the end of chapter 12. So a lot happened. We had Gregory's motivation, a test. We finally got to see what the debts in the forest cause, what some of what that darkness is, some of what that corruption is, and what it's doing to the forest. And we'll see more in the next chapter as Sarn tries to return to Mount Eredrin and his son. Will he outpace the corruption? Will he be able to stop it? What's going to happen with that? We'll find out next time. When we return with chapter 13, that's where we'll pick up again. So you can, as I've said before in every podcast, you can read ahead or read along. Curse Breaker Enchanted is available as an ebook, an audiobook, and a print book. So if you like the tactile book experience with pages that you can turn, you can also do that. Curse Breaker Enchanted is available everywhere books are sold, including Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, Google Play, Apple. It's also available for libraries, so you could request it at your local library and they can definitely get a copy. So that's also an option, and it's also available for my website. The ebook and the AI narrated audiobook are free. I did an episode where I had the AI narrated audiobook the first couple of chapters 
so you could hear how that sounds and see if that's something you might want to try. So check that out. It's called Who Narrates Better, uh, Robot or Human? I think that's what I called it. And that was it's very recent. So you could check that out if you're curious. And that's a wrap. Make sure to like, follow, share all the things. And I will see you soon. Once again, I am Melinda Cusera, your indie fantasy author.